0: where we talk about nursing and healthcare, and we throw a little true crime and news stories in there to help facilitate the conversation. Before I introduce my guest hosts this week, I wanted to once again thank all of you who have been so kind and have gone on to Apple Podcasts and done a rate and review for me. That has boosted my spirits. You have no idea All it takes, as I said before, all it takes is for one person to leave a negative review and say something. And it definitely hurts. It's like a stab in the gut for me. But then also, if somebody puts something on there that really, I feel like isn't true, it really hurts too. So it helped me so much when you guys jumped on there and were like, hi, Tina, I see you. I've read every single one of them. And let me just say it, it made my day and it still makes my day. Sometimes I'll go in there and read them just to remind myself why I'm doing this. I'm like, wow, people are listening. And obviously, I, I just appreciate you so much. And I, I just wanted to say that. So if you're listening, and you like the podcast, and you want to let me know. You can go on Apple Podcasts and give us a big five-star review and let us know. Just say, hi, Tina. You don't have to say anything. You can just be like, hi, Tina. And I'll know you're there and I know you're listening and you love it. And I just appreciate you so much. If you don't like it, you could just move on. You don't really, you don't have to, (laughs) you could send me an email. You don't have to necessarily (laughs) go on Apple Podcasts and tell everybody, but whatever. It's, you know, it's up to you. So with that, I think I'm going to introduce my amazing guest hosts. The this These two have been on the podcast a couple of times now. So they're friends of the podcast and my friends, and I appreciate them so much. Amy and Sarah from the Gritty Nurse podcast. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi again. So nice to have you guys back. I feel like it's been way too long. We have to try to do this a little more frequently. And I want to get on to your podcast too and discuss Absolutely. some things. Absolutely. So you guys need to check out the Gritty Nurse podcast whenever you get a chance. And guys, tell them, how can they find you? I think the
1: easiest thing is just to Google us and you can go to our website, grittynurse.com. If you want to listen to our podcast, we're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all the major podcast platforms, and you can also follow us on socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the big ones.
2: You can find us wherever.
0: That is awesome. And you guys, just so you know, they are huge advocates for nurses in, well, every, I, everywhere, but specifically they are from Canada, and so it's interesting from being from the US just to sort of get to see have a little window into the healthcare system um, up there. So I think if you're interested, just jump on there and see what they're all about.
2: Absolutely. Please do.
0: CBD Stat. They're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company. You know, I was able to use their product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples And I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist and it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis and it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than a 1,000 milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash goodnursebadners. That's cbdstat.care forward slash goodnursebadners. Be sure and put the forward slash goodnursebadners in there so they'll know that we sent you there. Bad doctor story. This is, it's shocking and very, very scary. I'm going to let you guys kind of lead the discussion because you're familiar with this story. And I just, I'm scared as a, a person who could potentially be a patient, you know, obviously. Yeah,
1: I think this one hits close to home because it happened not that long ago. And when you had sent us the story, it really sent chills down my spine reading it because it's something that could easily have happened to many women. And I really hope that with, People hearing the story that we can take some steps to prevent this from happening again. So, this is the story of Eric Salada. Salada, who was 54 years old, was a cosmetic doctor in Naples, Florida. He and his wife owned a spa. It was called Pura Vida Medical Spa, and this physician's practice offered things like body contouring, skin care, and spa treatments. And so in October of this year, October 2022, a would-be patient of Salada's located the medical spa after a simple Google search. This is something that any one of us would have done, potentially. Online reviews... The clinic were glowing with positivity, concealing the sinister activity that allegedly occurred behind its doors.
2: So, the female patient whose identity has not been released was allegedly prescribed Xanax by Salada for an upcoming procedure. She was instructed to take the Xanax the day before the procedure. As Salada advised that it would be painful and take approximately three to four hours to complete, I'd be really interested to know what procedure she was actually having done because that's a long time.
0: It is. It, you know, this reminded me of, I had a, a graft done in my a mouth, like the dent, a dental procedure. And I had never had Xanax or anything like that ever before. right? And so <laughs> they, that's what she told me to do. She said, before you, when you're coming in, she actually gave me two. She said... You're going to get two pills, take one when you're on your way and take another one when you get there. So basically she wanted, you know, to ha- have it staggered out a little bit. And when I remember walking in there and being completely awake and then being super nervous about it, cause I'm just, I felt like this is going to be so painful. They're taking a graft right. from the upper part of my, my, you know, mouth. And I was just like, this is going to hurt. Um, And I remember laying in the chair, and she put a warm blanket over me, and I remember nothing else. I I woke up, and she was just like, okay, we're done. And it felt like she just literally looked in my mouth and then just looked back and said, we're finished. And I was like, it's like I lost that time. It's insane. So that is immediately where I went when I saw this, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah.
2: The red flags start kind of going off, right? Yeah. And I think there's another red flag moment here for me in this story, too. So Salada was the only staff member in the room with the patient. He administered laughing gas, so nitrous oxide, to the patient to help with pain and offered her a glass of what she said was she was told that it was tequila. She drank the liquor and then she soon blacked out. So I have to say, like, this is just my personal opinion, my personal take I know at certain like clinics, they might offer you all sorts of like fancy things. And especially maybe if you're at a really high end clinic, they might offer you like a glass of champagne and something. I just wouldn't take Xanax and alcohol. That's just my, that's just my personal take.
1: Right. I think it's really unprofessional as well mm-hmm. to be offered any alcohol. Like I know when you're out socially, that's different, right? But to go to a clinic and have a procedure, a serious procedure that's going to take several hours and to be offered alcohol, that sound, that's another red flag to me. Oh, 100%. I mean, I definitely would not be taking that. And there's that's a lot of medication on board too, right? So you've got the Xanax, you've got the nitrous oxide, you have some mystery liquid that you're told is tequila. And what happened next actually is the worst part. So the patient briefly regained consciousness twice during her appointment and was horrified that she was being sexually assaulted and then raped. So imagine waking up and thinking maybe that you're in a dream and then realizing you're actually being assaulted, not once, but twice. And the victim said she felt shocked after the sedation subsided about what had taken place. She contacted police and submitted to a sexual assault examination, which by itself is traumatizing, right? It's re-traumatization, which was sent to the FDLE laboratory for the continuing investigation. Naples police would later comment in a press release. A month later... Another woman, whose name has not been released to the public, underwent a procedure performed by Salas. An excessive amount of nitrous oxide was administered for a quote-unquote pain. She was allegedly raped and left with bruised lips after Salas had kissed her. This victim, the second victim, is in her early 70s.
2: How, that's wild. I mean, I think that, you know, any our greatest fear is... We're just trying to go in for a healthcare treatment, right? I think, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to, you just, you want to go in to get whatever treatment that you're going to be receiving. And I think at the end of the day, this type of assault is, it's brutal. It's such a huge intrusion onto our privacy. And I think that is horrible. This, this is something that needs to be, well, one, we just have to talk about the fact that sexual assault in any situation is horrible, right? Rape is horrible, And again, now we're just worried about the fact that it's your word against this other person's because nobody else was there. And that's another scary aspect too, especially when these cases come to light. But again... There was another third victim that accused the doctor of rape. So investigators knew that there was a high probability of more victims. And on Monday night, November 21st, 2022, Salada was apprehended by the the sorry, was apprehended at the Pura Vita clinic and charged with two counts of sexual battery to a to a physically helpless person. He was he was then released from the Kohler County Jail the next day after posting a $200,000 bond. Prosecutors wanted to force Solana to turn in his sorry, prosecutors wanted to force Solana to turn in his weapons when he was released on bond, but the judge ruled against against a risk protection order. Solana was slated with a court order date on December 19th, and approximately a week after his release from jail, a deputy was dispatched to for a welfare check on a Monday evening.
1: So now this is where the story takes a dark twist. According to the partially redacted incident report, Salada's ankle monitor had not detected movement since approximately 10.18 a.m. Deputies followed the last known location of the tracker and spotted a boot in a ditch near a wooden location. Salas was found in the ditch with a pistol near his leg and a wound to his head. So, investigators commented that the death does not look suspicious. However, the case is pending investigation. With Salada now deceased, no criminal trial can be conducted. Civil litigation will begin once Salada's death certificate is confirmed and released.
0: Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursbadnurs.com. One thing that came to mind, you know, with this story is how important it was that these women were brave enough to come forward because, just like what you said, Amy, it there is the fear that you're not going to be believed. And just the fear of public humiliation, which shouldn't, it shouldn't be there. It shouldn't, that shouldn't even be in your mind. But you can't help it. you it's something that naturally you're going to feel humiliation by, even though we do try to protect the identity of people like this, I feel like that it gets, it can get out in within your circle of people. And so I am so incredibly proud of these women who independent of each other went for, you know, came forward and reported this. And I'm sure that that went a long way to, to the legitimacy of what, you know, what they were claiming because it's, they, they weren't connected, we know with each other, but then also allowing that whole sexual assault examination to happen all of the things that you have to go through as a victim and so many things that hadn't even happened yet. The repeated interrogations, the repeated, you know, the depositions that they would have had to sit through the going through a trial and who knows years if he was convicted and could be years of having to go before a parole board and tell your story. I mean, they knew that's what they were facing and they were willing to do that. And I guarantee you, it wasn't because they thought it was going to happen to them again. It was because they wanted to have justice and they wanted to make sure it didn't happen to anyone else. Definitely. And unfortunately, I feel like the
1: justice system is not set up to support victims because having to spend weeks, months, even years of your life reading visiting this trauma just because you want justice is not the way it should be but unfortunately it is sometimes the only way to bring someone to justice and in this case we don't know what happened right we don't know if he committed suicide we don't know if someone else got involved but the fact is he's no longer here to tell his side of the story
2: yeah i think it and it speaks to this whole culture of silence and fear too, right? And will these women have their day in court? And I guess they won't because, you know, this individual has allegedly committed suicide and they don't, they're not going to get to face the person who has brutalized them. And I think that's kind of an unfortunate situation. But again, there's this culture where, you know, women are afraid to speak out because, again, if we look at precedent cases and we look at the courts, justice for women when it comes to rape cases are few and far between. And then even when justice is served, some of these some of these individuals only serve small sentences. And again, that's a part of the problem, right? We need to have stronger laws that protect women who are brutalized and and, and treated in this way. And again, we just need to continue to raise our voices, hate when we see these types of cases, and, you know, have that strong collective sense of camaraderie and make policies that support women and protect women as well.
0: If you kill anyone, it's like, obviously, you know, there's penalty for that. But if you kill a police officer, it's like, you're going to get the death penalty, you know, like, it's, well, if, you're, if it's in your state, but it's, There are certain people that if you, if you commit a crime against them, it's particularly egregious and there will be even further consequences. I feel like on the kind of the flip side of that, if you are in a position, and I do think that there's something like this for, I know for teachers, if, you know, because you're taking advantage of somebody that you have some authority over, but if you are a medical professional and you have been given this trust by someone. It is just particularly just unfathomable, really, that you would put someone in that situation where you would allow them to be completely vulnerable and then take advantage of that. The number of these cases that I have read, it's horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. And these are videos that show, there is one in particular that I'm thinking of that is, I, it's so hard to understand. A, a, a woman was having a C-section, and I don't know if you're familiar with this story or not, but a woman was having a C-section, and I don't believe it was in the United States, but the whole team is there. and But there's a big drape between what's going on with the C-section with the OBGYN and the surgical tech and the nurses and all the people on that end, and then there's the anesthesiologist or the nurse anesthetist that's on the other side of the drape and this whole there was a video that was set up because they suspected that something weird was going on so they literally set up a video on the other side and caught him doing just absolutely unthinkable unthinkable acts to this woman who
2: Un- yeah, it's wild. So yeah,
0: yeah, horrifying. I mean, so scary. Wow, the audacity just to be in the same room, but literally
1: on the other side yes. of the screen, committing mm-hmm. these acts that I can't, I don't even have words for that.
0: I don't know what the answer is. How do you do? You have cameras every stinking where everywhere you go to protect people from people like this? I don't know what the answer is because then it's also invading our own privacy, and I don't know. It could possibly impede. The care that's given from the other on the other side of that, where people are, and it makes people nervous to think about being watched. I don't know.
2: Maybe it's just even tougher crime laws for these types of things. Like, like you were saying earlier, right? Like, if it is, like for example, if you were to kill a police officer, most likely you can get the death penalty. Well, maybe if you rape a woman who's unconscious, you can get the death penalty too. Like, I think we need to start thinking of stricter laws in relation to these things and actually taking women's rights and, you know, our what we have to say seriously because that's a big part of the problem, right? there shouldn't be disparities. There shouldn't be gender disparities, but we do see them whether it's through criminality, whether it's through, you know, policy, whether it's through looking at simple things like even just pay equity. These are the things that we're seeing and we have to continue to challenge them and push for stronger policies and stronger laws to support and protect women. Mm -hmm. It can't just be left up to, to women just to say, okay, you know, we are the ones that are that are advocating for this, men should be doing this work too. (laughs) Men should be advocating to protect us. And that's some of the things that I don't see very often. And I think that's some of the things that we should be calling for as well.
1: Right. And even just thinking back to the Salas case, I find it really hard to believe that there was no one else who knew about what was happening or had a suspicion about what was happening. It's really unusual to have a procedure where the physician is literally the only person in the room usually there's someone helping with supplies or documenting or monitoring the patient like I, I don't know enough about the case to say but even just that bystander effect if you are suspicious of something if you've seen something happen it is your responsibility to take action and not stand by because if this was happening to you would you not want someone to be advocating
0: for you and making sure this doesn't happen again
2: I agree with you. If you see something, say something.
0: Amy, you were saying that you'd seen on a news show, like one of the local news affiliates, that they had said that allegedly there was a possibility that his wife was a where, or maybe should have been aware of what was going on?
2: Yeah, so there was an NBC News report that came out just recently that they said, you know what, there's concerns that they might think that the wife might have been aware of what was happening. And again, we'll just have to wait to find out when they, you know, can it goes forward with them criminally prosecuting her as well. We just have to wait to hear what has to say. But there there are some allegations that the wife might have known as well.
0: It's difficult to even have these conversations now because we really don't... And- we are innocent until proven guilty right. and so we don't want to necessarily say that sh- that definitely happened but it is really hard to understand how it could have been a policy for him to be in a room and they did co-own this faci- this place right so mm-hmm. it was the two of them i just i think that just out of protecting yourself, I mean, protecting you from a lawsuit or protecting from someone making a false allegation that you would want to have somebody else in the room. So to me, it's very, very suspicious that this was just something that happened that he was allowed to be in the room with these patients who were not only in the room with them, but while the patients are unconscious
1: hmm And it's only three reports that we know of, right? So there may have been more victims who have yet to come forward. And maybe this is still unfolding. It's very recent. So I'd be interested to see what happens at the end. Maybe there could be an update episode about the outcome of this case.
2: It's interesting that you said that the last NBC report that I looked at said that 11 victims have come forward so far. So we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Because of those two very brave women... Because they were willing to step up, it, I'm sure helped to give courage to the other women, other victims to want to come forward and say, actually. And who knows? Maybe somebody like had they woke up out of this, you know, being sedated and somehow thought, did I just dream that? Like, I, I feel like this happened, but they're just like, they're embarrassed. They don't want to say that the, they think this happened. I mean, How do you say that? How do you say, I think this happened, but I'm not sure it could have been like some weird dream, but I really feel like it happened. And so I think that it would be hard to come forward and say anything in that situation.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like trust your gut. And I'm glad these women did come forward. And I hope that at some point they get the justice that they so rightly deserve.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's interesting is the very beginning of the story, we said that that this first victim did a Google search and that he had glowing reviews, lots of positivity. I remember doing the story of the doctor death story of Christopher Dunt, Texas doctor, the neurosurgeon who botched all those surgeries and really deliberately just maimed people. I mean, completely just ripped through all of these different cases, not caring that he really didn't understand the procedure, had no experience with this or that. But I remember there were some people that said that he had really good reviews, which is, it's hard to believe because there, he had already had so many people. But I don't think, you, you can look up reviews. I'm not saying not to, but you can't put all of your faith in that. Well, he gets good reviews. It must be good. Because people can put false reviews on online, believe it or not. You can even buy them, apparently.
2: Wow, I didn't I, I didn't know about buying them, but I do know that people can put false reviews up.
1: Wow, this is like this is next level because now I'm really paranoid about false reviews. But I think it's just like using your nurse skills and judgment, right? Like looking at what's there in front of you, trusting your gut. It's one thing to read something online that's there, right? But look at the person in front of you and do you get a good sense for That they could provide the care and treat you well? Are there any red flags that you just feel are making the hair on the back of Mm -hmm. your neck stand up? And maybe even bring someone with
0: you to your initial appointment and see what they think. And also, if you are having a procedure done, I would say upfront is there going to be someone else in the room? You know, say that. Will there be someone else in the room with us, with me, or, you know, who all is going to be in here? Like, Understand the setup from the beginning, and just make sure um, you can talk to the nurse, talk to the staff, and just say, "Hey, I'll just I know I'm having this procedure, and they're going to be giving me this medicine that's going to make me sleepy. And will there, who else is going to be in the room with me? Will there be some a third person at all times? And kind of establish that up front, so they know that you are you're thinking about it and you're insisting that there be someone else."
2: A hundred percent. And I think that we've seen it in other cases too, where, you know, your cell phone's also another powerful tool, right? You feel like something might be off, turn your phone on and put it on record. And, you know, if nothing happens, Mm -hmm. but again, if something did happen, you might have some video evidence and some to back that up for you as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. And use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. Well, I guess that wraps it up for this bad doctor story. I'm sorry for people that I, these stories sometimes are, they are just so horrible to think about, you don't want to think about things like this happening. And yet, we really can't just bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it doesn't happen. You have to talk about it. You have to get it out there. Just like all this discussion, this great discussion that we've had helps to sort of hash through all of it, come up with ideas of the ways to protect yourself, and encourage people to, you know, be strong and come forward and and not feel like a victim if it's happened to you, not feel like, not feel humiliation and not feel like it's your fault or anything like that. So I guess we can get into this good nurse story. I'm really, 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 really excited about this story because for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, you will remember that I've talked several times about a nurse in New York, Tracy McCarter, who was in March of 2020, had, was estranged from her husband and he had problems with alcoholism and went to her apartment, asked to, to, to get in. She had asked him not to come, but he did. She led him into her apartment. And then he started getting, up, I guess, upset and aggressive because he wanted, from what I understand, he was wanting money or something. And she was just, you know, just saying, I need you to leave. She was asking him to leave. He wasn't going to leave. And he got aggressive. She got a knife to protect herself, just to try to get him to leave. And then when he attacked her during that altercation, he was impaled by the knife. And it was not something that she did deliberately. That was something that happened during that scuffle. And then she immediately rendered aid to him, immediately tried to help him, immediately called 911. And then when they got there, when the police got there, they did decide to charge her with murder in the second degree, which imply, obviously, they are saying that she intentionally stabbed him. And she is saying, That is not what happened," she said. That from the beginning, and so we've been going through this ever since, like two years. This has been going on that she's been trying to get these charges dropped, and also that there is an organization that's been trying to help her, who helps victims of domestic violence who have been treated like criminals, and so they've been fighting for her as well. And finally, after almost three years, they have dropped all of the charges. And you guys know that I told the story back several months ago of the DA attempting to make it kind of go away. And the judge wouldn't let them because they were basically what they were trying to do is make it go away, but not admit that they shouldn't have prosecuted her. And the judge is like, no, we're not playing that game. And so they had to actually come forward this time and say, we're dropping the charges. And so it helps to know that she should not have been prosecuted in the first place. Now, they could decide to do something along the lines of manslaughter or, you know, and something like that, like involuntary manslaughter or something, if they, I guess, if they wanted to.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm glad it's a win for her, and I really hope that they don't go back and try to prosecute her for anything, because I really I think that this is actually speaks to Kind of similarly to the bad doctor story that we had, where we talk about this victimization and brutalization of women, and we talk about how the court systems fail women time and time again. This was a perfect example of how the system essentially failed her. She was suffering all this abuse and, you know, was trying to defend herself, or not even the case, defend herself if he fell on the knife himself. I mean, this is where she should have been protected. She should have been looked at as saying, you know what, I'm glad that she made it out because the situation could have been worse. What if it was her on the receiving end of, you know, being stabbed or being murdered in this way? And I'm glad that, you know, it's been overturned. It's been probably a very difficult time for her. And I hope that they don't put her through any more stress and strife because it was a horrible situation. And again, she had to be there to try to even resuscitate him. So I, I think that they just need to let this go and they need to let her heal and take the time that she needs to heal.
1: Right and I think about what rights do you have if you are being attacked right because there is this self defense that you need to you need to exercise that in order to save your own life and in her case she did and then she had to suffer the consequences so it's really unfair and like Amy said similar to the previous case it's all about violence against women and we need to really empower and support women and bring this story to light because it shouldn't have happened and I hope it doesn't happen to any other woman
0: James Murray's family was not happy about this decision. Basically, the judge decided that because the district attorney was not moving forward with the case, that he's going to dismiss it. And I think that the family looks at it like, well, he's dead and it's uh, it's not fair that the case would not have been presented to a jury and allow them to see all of the evidence and decide whether or not... But the pro the problem that I have with it is in this well, there's uh, several problems I have with it. It was obviously way overcharged. If you, any I think that any reasonable person should be able to look at this and see a history of domestic violence. he was obviously intoxicated. He came to her apartment. She clearly it, you know he was the knife went in one time and she immediately started rendering aid. How in the world that could be considered second degree murder? I, it was, I feel like it was just way overcharged. And if they were going to charge a domestic violence victim who was defending at the very, to me, at the very worst, defending herself and that's very, and what she says was just trying to get him to leave. If you're going to at least do it at the level is that is appropriate for what, any, I feel like any reasonable person should realize that the worst thing that happened here was she got the knife to defend herself and stabbed him in a heat of, I still don't even believe that's what happened. But even if you're trying to believe, you know, trying to look at it from the perspective that she could have intentionally stabbed him, it's still, he came to her apartment intoxicated. There is a history. You know, I don't get it. I don't get it at all.
2: Yeah. And I think you had mentioned something to us, or again, when we were kind of looking at the story was the fact that, you know, maybe unconscious bias p- played a part too. There is a strong history and m- much evidence of racialized people being at higher rates and much more aggressive charges than white folks, right? So I believe that she was a Black woman and he was a white man. And again, maybe some unconscious bias played into this as well. I can't speak to that specifically, but but there are those cases, and there is precedence that shows that, you know, black folks tend to be criminalized much higher at higher rates and prosecuted at higher rates than those of white individuals. And maybe if she was a white female, maybe the outcome would have been different. I'm not too
0: sure, yeah. I did I forgot to mention that at the beginning because that's it that's just been a part of this conversation from the beginning. But she is black, and he was white. And I think that there are a lot of people who believe that whether it was intentional or not that there had to have been some sort of unconscious bias that played a role in the w- the direction that this whole case went from the very beginning the way that a lot of people see this is if they if the police had walked in there and it had been a white woman a white woman who had done the stabbing and the victim was black there are a lot of people that believe that things would have gone differently. Not that they would have intentionally, but it's just a way that you look at things or it's just you would look at that and see her as a victim protecting herself as opposed to seeing her as somebody who was being aggressive toward him.
1: Right. And if we're looking at intent here, it's obvious that she did not, it was not premeditated. She didn't plan this. He came to her apartment. She acted the way that she needed to act to protect herself and i don't think that should have been viewed as a murder charge like you said it was way overcharged and for her to have to go through that, that entire process to clear her name was undoubtedly very stressful and shouldn't have happened
0: yes and i am so so happy and before we got on i was trying to bring you guys up to speed about this story and i wanted you to understand just what a big deal it is so i led you up to the finale which is that she She has been, she's been released from, she's not tethered to her apartment anymore. You know, she, her daughter had a baby back in, I think, October, and she couldn't leave to go see her because she lives out of state. I mean, there's just been a lot of consequences, a lot of stress, a lot of grief, a lot that's gone through. She will tell you she loved her ex-husband. She loved him. She left him because he was abusive because of the alcoholism. Alcoholism is a horrible, horrible disease that can turn people into somebody that they normally are not. And in spite of the fact that she loved him, she left him to get out of that situation. She did what we tell people to do. She did all the things right. And then she tries to defend herself or just, you know, in trying to make him, you know, leave her apartment, get out, try you know, trying to defend herself, this happens and she's, she is made the criminal for it.
2: Yeah. Again, like I'm glad that the outcome is that she's been released and she's free from these charges. And again, it just speaks to us having a greater conversation about how do we protect and support women and when these types of situations happen. And you're right, Tina, alcoholism is a horrible disease. I've had my personal experiences with folks who have, um, have been alcoholics and have stayed with me. And it's, it is quite traumatizing when they, you know, let's say they fall off the bandwagon and they drink and then you see them in that type of state. Again, I've heard the saying there, there are happy drunks and then there are angry drunks. And this individual was very, very angry. So I could only imagine if that was your partner or your spouse or someone that you deeply cared about seeing them down that path and then seeing that abusive tendency. It's very scary. It's a very scary situation. I couldn't imagine what this individual, what she went through. So, you know, at the end of the day... I'm hoping that she could just take the time to heal right now. I think that's the most important thing.
1: And she's not going to get that time back where she, you know, she didn't get to see her grandchild being born. That's not something she can get back. That's an unfortunate consequence of this whole situation. And it makes me so sad that it happened to her.
0: Yeah, it makes me sad too. And I am very sad for his family and for his, the loss of his life. I, I, The whole thing is horribly tragic. And I wish we could do more in this country to help people who are struggling with substance use disorder. For some reason, we don't have that as a priority. We will criminalize those people, though. We will put them in jail for using, you know, for having the disease of substance use disorder, but we will do nothing. We will spend no money to try to help them.
2: You're 100% right. Mental health and addictions is always left at the bottom of the barrel. And that's a huge fix that we need, especially, you know, I think a lot of people think in Canada we have universal health care, Well, mental health and addiction, some of these things aren't covered. Yeah. So, again, another podcast episode, I'd say, to talk about those types of things and why we need to change the way we look at mental health and addictions.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. This, I guess, wraps up another episode. Remind everybody where they can find you. You can go to our website, which is grittynurse.com, or
1: follow us on socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.
0: And you guys know that you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com, goodnursebadnurse on social media. You can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you for those of you that send me stories. Actually, the this Dr. Salata story was one that a, a listener emailed to me. Thank you so much. And I guess that's it. So I want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.